Do you care? God, do you care? Do you really care? Do you really know what's going on? Like, where were you Wednesday? Where, 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 like, where were you? Why, why do, why would such a terrible thing happen to such a good person? And, and I'm sorry to be so raw with you, but we've, we've committed at Coastline to be transparent. And, and I wouldn't be so stupid to think that maybe, uh, if not most of us, all of us have asked the question at some point in our life, God, do you care? Where are you? Like, where are you in this? Where are you in this hurt? And maybe, I don't know what you're going through today, but maybe you can relate. Or where are you? Where were you in that death? Or where, where were you when I lost my job? Where are you, my wayward child? Where were you during that divorce? Where were you when my business went south? Where, God, do you even care? Like, I'm supposed to be your child. Do you care? Now, I know that would fly in the face of a lot of, of preachers and a lot of a lot of churches that wouldn't allow someone like me to stand on a stage like this and ask brutal questions like that, but just so happens I'm the pastor here. <laughs> so I'm going to, I'm just going to try, I was, I'm asking those questions about this situation and, and, and I know that, that maybe many of you have asked those questions and so I'm arguing with God a little bit and, and thinking, God, you know, do, do you really care? And so these emotions just started coming out. Do you care? Where, where are you in this? Where can I find you? And here I'm the one for the past 18 years who have walked people through times like this and always finding the silver lining and always trying to find the good. And yes, he works all, uh, all things together for the good of those who are called to his purpose, according to his purpose and will. And, and you know, and you know these things and then you, you start looking around and you're grasping for, for those things. You're like, God, I, I don't see that. Would you connect the dots for me in this? And, and so as I'm, I'm processing this with God, God takes me over, and I'm just going to share a few passages with you. God, God takes me over to James 4, 8, and, and again, there won't be any scriptures on the screen, and I didn't have my Bible with me. God was just downloading this to me. It's not because I'm a professional Bible reader, but again, you do have to read your Bible for God to bring it back to you. I was hurting, and I was hurting bad, and I was arguing with God, and he started bringing scriptures to my memory because I had read them. So James 4, 8, and, and, and I'm asking God, do you care? And in James 4, 8, it says, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. Draw near to me. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. God, God there's a promise there in James 4, 8 that no other religion, no other, uh, uh, no other religion can profess, no other higher being can, no, no other thing, a uh, book or enlightenment journey that you can be on can point to a God that says, hey, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. No matter what's going on, no matter what's happening in your life, you draw near to me and I'll draw near to you. I've often said God is the, the greatest poker player. I know that's not theologically correct, but he'll always see you one and raise you. You take one step towards God, he'll take 800 million towards you because that's the kind of God he is. It's a God, do you care? And in these things like draw, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And then Proverbs says that there's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And then you, you think about, hey, obviously the, the question, the resounding answer to that question is, I know he cares. But in this moment, God, I need to know that I know that you care. 
And, and, and so he, he began to, to, to show me these passages in the Bible. And, and as I'm arguing with him and still thinking about preaching the framework series and still thinking about it four o'clock yesterday, I don't, you know, how do you navigate this and what do you do? And, and, and so, so he takes me over into Matthew 9 in my mind, Matthew 9, 36. Matthew 9, 36 says that Jesus looked upon the multitudes and he had compassion on them for they were, they were harassed. They were faint, scattered abroad like sheep without a shepherd. That's what it says in Matthew 36. And then the following verses is where we get the great missions prayer because that's where he turns around and he looks at the disciples and he says, look, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore to the laborers of the harvest, to the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers. But that's not what I want to focus on. I want to focus on the fact that Jesus was all God, all man, and Jesus is looking out upon thousands right? He's looking out. In other words, he's looking at humanity. He's looking out over them and he's overcome with compassion. He's overcome with compassion. Have you ever felt like you got lost in the crowd in reference to God? Be honest. Like God, I mean, God's got so much going on, you know, like God, you got this election coming up. (laughs) You need to stop laughing and start praying. I'm not kidding. But God, are you too busy? Are, are, are you too busy for me? And, and this, just, this just shows the, the, the heart of Jesus. And he's looking out and he looks at the thousands of people and, he, he, and he's, he's seeing them for the individuals that they are. And he's seeing them not, not, and he sees the sin problem. And he's, he's saying, look, there's the, he, he's having compassion on them. And that word compassion means to, to identify with the hurt of someone else. The, 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 he's having compassion upon humanity. And he's looking specifically at each person. And he's not looking at them going, you're bad because you do this. You're bad because you do this. You're bad because you do this. He's looking at them from the standpoint of, no, you, sin has entered into humanity. Now, he knows why he's on on the scene, yet he knows that the need is great and he cares about humanity before they know him as Savior, before they're forgiven. He's saying, look, that's why he turned to the disciples. That's why he turned to them and said, hey, listen, the harvest is plentiful. The laborers are few. Pray to the Lord of the harvest that he send forth laborers. Why? Because there's a sin problem. We learned last week that because of sin, death entered in. And so, so, in these times where we ask, God, do you care? Do you care about me? Do you care about what I'm going through? Do you know my zip code? Well, obviously the answer is yes. He knows when a hair falls from our head. Obviously, yeah, obviously the answer is yes. As I'm holding Nathan this week as he sobs, as I'm holding Joe this week as he sobs, as I'm meeting his other son at the, the airport, and then as his daughter's flying in from the mission field from Thailand, I'm looking at this family in devast- Do you care? And maybe some of you are going through situations in your life right now where you're like, God, do you even care? In Matthew 39, 36, yeah, he cares. For he looked upon the multitudes, and he had compassion on them. For they, they were harassed. They were faint and scattered abroad like sheep without a shepherd. He, he cared about their problems. He cared how they, they were being led astray like sheep without a shepherd. He cared that sin would, had brought in death and was leading them to destruction. When sin gives way to our carnal desires, the Bible says, then it gives way to death. 
And he cared about that. He cared about that. The Bible says he, he, he leaves the 99 to find the one. Yes, he cares about what you're going through. We, we would go on vacation, Rain and I, and, um, and when you grow up in Memphis or the surrounding area and you want to go to a beach, it's called the Redneck Riviera. Some of you can't identify with that. But, but what I mean by that is if you live in Memphis, you just point the car south and you go until you see a beach. And when you see a beach, you find a hotel and you walk in and you say, do you have a room? They say, yeah, does it have rats? No. And you give them money. And that's where you spend the week. And, and around, around these areas are these uh, amusement parks. You know what I'm talking about? They're like maybe an acre big and they have the roller coaster that does this and maybe a cow that you can pet or something. I don't know. And then a carousel, you know, and it costs more than it, way more than it should cost, right? And I remember going to one of these one time and, and we lost our son. He was like four years old. He's 20 now. And um, I still don't know where he is. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I know where he's at. Talked to him already. Uh, he's four years old. And I left him with my dad. And, and all the instructions we gave my dad was do not buy him anything sweet. And we weren't those kind of parents. We didn't care. I just knew he had already had like a bunch of sweet stuff. And I had to deal with him the rest of the day. And so my dad promptly takes him to the cotton candy And so he's paying for the cotton candy and Dylan disappears. So my dad freaks out. I've lost your son. (laughs) Way to go, dad. All my theories are proven in you (laughs) just now. (laughs) And, 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 and so like we're freaking out and we're, we're looking and we're, oh, and in perfect Dylan fashion, he had climbed the fence to the carousel over four years old, over the fence and hopped on the carousel while it was going around and around. And he was just (laughs) having a great time. Having a great time, but I will tell you this, I never will forget the terror and the, 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 the terror that grabbed me and the fear that grabbed me. Any of you have ever lost a child or just the fear and, and like, oh my goodness. And you're, you're looking and you're running and you're fi- trying to find. And that's, that's, that's what Jesus felt when he looked upon the multitudes. That's the urgency that he felt. He felt the hurt of lostness. He felt the hurt of rejection. He felt the hurt that sin had brought into humanity. And so if you want to ask the question, God, do you care? Yes, he cares. Yes. Then you look at, and he took me over. And again, if, if you're trying to learn how to write a sermon today is not one to listen to because I'm jumping everywhere, but this is just what God put on my heart. And I'm just like, okay, God, I, I see that, but do you really care? And he took me over the story of Lazarus. John, I believe it's chapter 11, 33 and 35. If you've not read the Bible, Lazarus was close to Jesus. He was friends with Jesus. And Lazarus died, got sick and died. And, and as Jesus, a word reached Jesus and Jesus is coming to where Lazarus is, there's all this commotion that's going on and they run out to Jesus and they say, teacher, if you would have been here, he would not have died. What were they really saying? Where were you? Where were you? You're out doing all this wonderful stuff and, and you're ministering, you're healing people and one of your best friends, someone is loyal to you. You couldn't even, where, that's what they were at. They were asking, where were you? If you would have been here, Lazarus wouldn't have been dead four days now. 
Where were you during that divorce? Where were you in that untimely death? Where were, where, and we ask those questions as humanity. And here are these people who know Jesus, who have done ministry with Jesus, and they run out to him. Teacher, had you been here, he would not have died. Now, this is what's so comfort, comforting in a way and brings my relationship with Christ into such an intimate place. Jesus asked a question. Where have you laid him? Now, catch this. Jesus knows already he's about to raise Lazarus from the dead. Right? That's verse 34. Where have you laid him? And then verse 35, for those of you who have never memorized the scripture verse in your whole life, this is yours right here. You can leave church today and say, I can quote scripture. Shortest verse in the Bible, John eleven thirty-five. 35. You know what it says? Jesus wept. Jesus wept. All God, all man. Now, now check this out. Jesus has asked where he's been laid. We're asking the question, God, do you care? They're asking Jesus. If you would have been here, he wouldn't have died. If you would have been who you really say you are and, and took care of business, Lazarus wouldn't be four days in the grave. So he says, where have you laid him? So he knows he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead, yet he weeps, which begs the question he and brings to light. He's not weeping for the death of Lazarus. He knows Lazarus is going to come back to life. He is weeping at what sin has done to humanity and the fact that those that are closest to him are crying and mourning the loss of a loved one. That's why Jesus is crying. He's, Jesus is crying in that moment because he, he's, he, he is seeing what sin has done. He's seeing how hard it is for death to have entered in the picture. See, we weren't created to die. Did you know that? Adam was never created to die. Eve was never created to die. That's why you read all these kind of crazy, gnarly stories about people cutting off their own limbs to live, the will to live. We weren't created to die. It's not in us to die. It's not in our DNA to die. And when we lose that want to live, and then the spirit, the human spirit is crushed, and Jesus is looking at those close to him, and he begins to cry because he's so moved with emo- Jesus wept. He, well, he didn't wait, weep for Lazarus because for he knew that Lazarus was going to come back to life. He was weeping at what sin had done. Because sin ushered in death. He was weeping because those around him were saddened. Do you care, God? Yes, he cares. The, the, the humanity that comes out of Jesus in that moment, the humanity that, that comes out of Jesus in that moment where he begins to cry and weep and groan because those around him are sad. They're sad about death. So I'm asking God this question, do you care? Do you? Do you, do you really care, God? And, and then he takes me to the cross. And, and so I'm thinking about the cross and, and then, you know, Jesus hanging on the cross. And then you feel guilty for asking the question, God, do you care? Right? Because, because then you hear this voice, how dare you ask if, if God cares? Can't you see Jesus hanging on the cross? That's not the voice of God. That's the voice of condemnation. Think about this just for a second. 
How do we know Thomas? And how do I know that God's okay with me asking the hard questions? Thomas. Now, how do we know Thomas? Poor guy. He was there at the feeding of the 5,000 a couple times. He was there. I mean, this guy, was, he was involved in all the miracles. He was around. But how do we know Thomas? And so Thomas says, I will not believe. Like a little kid, I can just see him putting his foot down. I will not believe until I put my hands in the holes of his hands. Enters Jesus. Enters Jesus. And religion will teach you that in that moment, if you doubt God, you should get slapped around by the Bible and you should get, boom, you should get a Holy Spirit beat down. How dare you question God? How dare you question? How dare you not go to the corner and say enough things to make you right? Or you go to that corner and you get a hold to yourself. How dare you ask? How dare you demand to put your hands in the holes? And, and what's Jesus do? Hey, buddy, come here. Come here, Thomas. Come here. If that's what it's going to take. See, that's the Jesus that the world doesn't know. That's the Jesus that you can actually ask, do you care? Yeah, Jason, I care. Yeah, Thomas, here, come here. Look. Yes, I care. Yes. You think about Jesus on the cross, and there's this, he's been beaten beyond recognition, the Bible says, and, and then he is carrying his own cross to the point where he can no longer carry it. And then Simon of Serene picks up the cross and takes it the rest of the way up the hill. And there after, you know, he's been beaten. And we like to, we, we like to make that story into more theatrics than it really is. He's naked. He's bleeding. He's been beyond, beaten beyond recognition. And his hands are nailed to the cross. His feet are nailed to the cross. And then there are these two criminals on each side. So you think, all right, this is the end of the story. And so I'm asking, Jesus, do you care? And so I'm thinking about Jesus on the cross. But then the Holy Spirit says, think about what happened when he was hanging on that cross. So there's this guy over here on this side. And he's like, hey, hey, you. I'm paraphrasing. King of the Jews. You can't even save yourself, you hypocrite. You can't, you say you're all that and you can't even save yourself. And the guy over here is like, dude, what are you doing? We deserve what we're getting. We deserve what we're getting. This man has done nothing. He's been beaten. He's been nailed to a cross. And don't forget, they made a crown of thorns and put on his head and pressed it into his head. Rain and I lost most all of our fence with this past hurricane. And um, so last Friday, me and my ranch hand here, just good ranch hand, we set out to, to, silk, to put up silk fence where our fence had been gone because we have a dog that doesn't know he's a dog and, you know, he has to go outside and we can't just leave the fence down because we're afraid he'll go out and hotwire a car or something and drive down because he doesn't know he's a dog, right? And so I can just see Goose 
So we have to have a fence. And so we spend all day putting up this silk fence and, and tearing down old fence and staple gunning and screw gunning and, and you know, and soaring places that we didn't know that we could be sore in and got all the way to the back of our yard and we got a, a big yard and, and in the back corner there's a piece of fence that had been blown over but it wouldn't fall over because it was connected to a bush. And the bush had grown through the tree over the years. And, and I, I believe I'm saying this right because of the reaction that I've gotten out of the past three services when I say it. It was a bougainvillea. Tell you what, I got more response. I've, I mean, I've preached some great sermons and never had a peep out of any of you, man. I said bougainvillea in the Saturday night service and it was like, Whoa! I never heard of a bougainvillea. I'm from Tennessee and Tennessee were smart enough not to plant stupid plants like that. So, so we won't let go of the fence. And it's the last part. And we're tired and we're hot. And it's been raining and then it quit raining. And it rained and humidity. You know what I'm saying? And so you're wet, but you don't know if it's wet from the rain or from sweat. And you and your ranch hand are starting to speak ill intent towards one another. <laughs> so I'm like, I got to get a saw. And if you saw my repertoire of yard tools, you would just laugh. The only time I ever use any kind of saw is to cut down things from a deer stand so I can see that way and that way and that way. But anyway, so I go get this thing. It's a pitiful excuse for a saw. It's rusted. It's a handsaw, not powered. Are y'all following me? So I'm getting like... <clears throat> so, I'm getting, so I got to get to the root of it, right? Because I just got to take this thing up by the root. And, and Steve's heard this. This will be the fourth time, and he's still laughing. I mean, so I, I go forward with the saw, and everything that I've got behind me is like, oh. I come back, and it's like, what? And I could show you, it would embarrass both of us, but I have scars all over me. And my ranch hand's like, here, let me hold that. Ow! Here, let me hold that. Ow! It's a baby. I got blood, like literally blood running all down my arms. I'm like, could you just stay over there? No, I want to help. I said, you would help if you would just stand right over there. <laughs> and I didn't tell her this that day, but there was one right at the end. I was about to get it. And when I got it, it broke loose. And the top part came loose of the fence. The fence fell. And the gravity that was holding that came back and smacked me right there. And it didn't scratch me. It stuck in me. I thought about Jesus. So we could go Friday. I thought about Jesus. We love to beautify. We love to have pageants or whatever. And man, I'm telling you, that thing barely went in me. Thorn about that big. And I thought about my Lord and Savior. They, they mocked him, beat him, spit on him while they were making that crown. Then they took it and they put it on his head. And they crushed it down in there. Now... This is the Jesus that's now hanging on the cross. This next part does not have to be in the Bible. If, this next, if, this next two, or if these next two sentences weren't in the Bible, we would never think any less of Jesus. We would never think, you know, even if the first part was in there, theologians could explain it. Because here's what happens. The guy over here says, dude, we deserve what we get. Remember, I'm asking the question, Jesus, where are you? Do you even care? And so this guy goes, hey, 
when you come into your kingdom, will you remember me? Light bulb moment, what do I have to lose? So he asked Jesus the question. Now, even that question could be in the Bible. And if Jesus didn't respond, we would think nonetheless of Jesus. Because again, there would be people way smarter than me that would have explained away that he was in and out of consciousness or blood had caked his ears or he just couldn't hear the request or he was just over it. He had done what he came to do and they deserved what they were getting. But here's the Jesus that cares. You know what he says? Gasping for, for, for air because when, when you're crucified, if you don't eventually die, they break your legs so you can't push yourself up. And then your rib cage falls on your lungs and you can't breathe and you suffocate. That's how you die. And so, so every breath that he takes is excruciating because he's having to push up with his feet. He's having to push up with the nails and the nails in his hands. He's having to push up. I'm sorry if this, this bothers you, but this is the Jesus that, this is what he did for us. So he pushes up just to get air. And as he's getting this air, he, he says, today you will be with me in paradise. Oh, he didn't have to do that. He had done what he needed to do. He had been falsely accused and beaten like a thief, hung on a cross. And even in his greatest moment of, of terror, a tri- in, in his greatest moment of, of pain, he's still reaching out to someone who deserves what they're... Grace! It's grace! And he says, today you will be with me in paradise. You think about him having compassion on humanity. You think about him crying for those that were crying. He was moved. Jesus wept. You think about him at, the great, at his greatest moment of need. His greatest moment of need. He's still ministering. He's still ministering. And, and you may be here today and say, I don't feel like I deserve that kind of love and grace. Well, neither did the guy hanging to, to, on, on the cross. He didn't deserve it either. But what did Jesus do? He gave it. Because that's the kind of Messiah we have. That's the kind of Savior we have. And then it was becoming evident that I wasn't going to preach on framework as God's downloading this stuff to me yesterday afternoon. And he took me over to Matthew 11, 28 through 30. And it starts out like this. Come to me. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. It's interesting right there. It's not come to me, all you who have perfect church attendance. Because you all would be screwed. <laughs> come to me, all, who, all of you who tithe. Come to me, all of you who uh, are certain economic status. Come to me, all of you who have checked the box today. Come to me, all of you who are measuring up. It's not what he says. He says, come to me, basically humanity. There is an invitation, come to me. There's a party list on that invitation. And it's these people, all you who are weary and burdened. Weary and burdened. Could that define some of us in this room today? Could that define some days of our life? Weary and burdened. 
Jesus is speaking to us today, but he's also speaking to those who had been burdened, weighed down by the law because they couldn't, they couldn't fulfill the law. And he's saying, that's why I'm here. But come to me, come to me in your imperfection. All, all who, all of you, all of us who are weary and burdened. So there's, there's the request, there's the invitation. Then there's who is involved in the invitation. And then there's the promise. And the promise is, I will give you rest. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Oh, how many days we live our life trying to be all that instead of just letting go and realizing I'm weary, I'm burdened. God, I need to get alone with you. I need to know that you care. I need to know that you care. How does he do that? He goes on to say in verse 29, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I love where he says, Come come here and take my yoke upon me, for I'm gentle and humble at heart. I'm not saying take my yoke and 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 you're not you have to pull your weight. What and, and most of us, as far as I know, yoke is a it's a farm term. It's a foreign term to us because as far as I know, most of you aren't going to go home and yoke up cows today. Correct. Okay. All right. So, but what, what a yoke is, is a yoke that would, would be put between two, two oxen and they would yoke up a seasoned oxen with a young oxen, a strong with a weak and so as they would go down and plow the field, as this week, as the younger oxen would say, I'm tired, I'm going to quit pulling, the older one would had been trained, no, we're going to keep going. Therefore, the other one had to keep going. And when he couldn't pull his own weight, the other one would pull it for him until he finally got the picture, hey, when I need rest, this guy's here to give me rest. And Jesus is saying, take, up, take my yoke upon you, I'm gentle, I'm humble at heart. I'm not looking to, to beat you down. I am looking to carry you. I am looking, and he, and he can say that because he overcame the world so we can overcome the world. Does he care? Yes, he cares. Come to me, who all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. I'm gentle and humble at heart, and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light so back to the question God do you care do you care what I'm going through do you care the situation I'm in because life is just really not pointing it you know if I look in the mirror of my life right now I can't really see that you care can I tell you he does he does you can't read this book without realizing it God cares so much he sent his only son to die for us. That's the yoke. That's the spiritual yoke that that spiritually we are weighed down. Spiritually we are weary and spiritually we are burdened. We talked about it last week. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we could become the righteousness of God. Does he care? Yes, he cares. He cared all the way to the grave. He cared all the way to overcoming the grave and death and sin. So maybe you're like some people last night or the first two services this morning. And, and you, maybe you're, you're in that place of 
you've been asking God, do you care? Can I, I hope this was a resounding yes, he cares. Or perhaps you're here today and you're not at peace with God. You, you, you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. You've never taken the spiritual yoke. Salvation's a faith issue. Salvation is you putting your faith in Jesus Christ as the Messiah. Salvation is you really believing the Bible where it says the only way to have peace with God is to be justified through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we are granted a grace in which we now stand. Salvation's not complicated. It's a faith issue. It's your faith. And what you do with it, you get to choose. But I can assure you this, God did everything he could to restore you back and make a way for you to spend eternity with him. And that way is Jesus, Jesus Christ. Would you bow your head all over this place? Everyone's heads bowed, no one's moving around unless you have to. You say, Jason, that's me. I know I'm not at peace with God. I know, I know that I know that I know. I feel in my heart right now, outside of emotion, I feel God dealing with my heart right now. If that's you and you say, Jason, I know I need to be saved. I know I need to put my faith in Jesus. I can't point to a moment in time where I've ever done that. What a great day to do that. I'm not asking you if I'm ever going to see you again. I'm not asking you if you'll be back next week. I'm simply asking you, are you at peace with God? Have you, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? If you, if you can't answer that question, yes, and you say, you know what, I know I need to be saved, would you slip your hand up long enough for me to see it? Just put it right back down. Say, that's me. I feel God dealing with my heart right now. I see your hand. Thank you. Anyone else? I see your hand. Thanks. Anyone else? Say, Jason, that's me. I, I, I know. I know that I know. If you raised your hand, I'm going to pray with you. And after, after service today, come up here. Pastor John's under the screen by this table. Get a book, get a devotion. But pray this prayer with me. Father, thank you for loving me. Thank you for chasing me. And thank you, Father, that right now, in this very moment, I know that you're forgiving me. And right now, I'm confessing in my heart that I believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. I believe that Jesus Christ was born of a virgin. I believe that Jesus Christ lived a sinless life. I believe that Jesus Christ took my death and sin on the cross. I believe that Jesus Christ was placed in a grave and he rose from that grave on the third day and I believe he's coming back for me one day. And right now, God, I receive your love and your grace and your mercy. This very moment, thank you for your forgiveness. God, give me the boldness to go up and grab a Bible and a devotion from Pastor John and speak with him for a moment. But most of all, thank you for your forgiveness. In Jesus' name, amen.